Welcome to Season 2 of the Gamers Change Lives Podcast. In Season 1, we learned about entrepreneurs and others around the world who were creating jobs and opportunities through esports. The one common theme throughout the season was that it takes money to create jobs and change lives. But let's face it, money can be hard to find, especially in some parts of the world, maybe in your part of the world. But this season, we are going to share stories from esports entrepreneurs in emerging markets and showcase how they found funding they need to be successful. We're also going to talk to investors in Africa, Asia, India, who have invested in esports and highlight the challenges that those markets face. In addition, we're going to talk about sponsors who provide funding to teams, tournament organizers, and streamers. Join us on this journey for Season 2 of the Gamers Change Lives podcast, aptly titled, Follow the Money. And now your host, Tom Leonard. Hey there, I'm Tom Leonard. I'm the host of the Gamers Change Lives podcast. When it comes to esports, I am definitely not the expert. I'm more of an explorer. The goal of the podcast is to hear from esports entrepreneurs and others around the world to hear how esports can create jobs, and maybe inspire some other people to do just that. Our tagline is play games, create jobs, change lives. In season two, we're talking about sponsorship, investment, and more to show how to generate revenue for your esports business because it takes money to create jobs. We call this season Follow the Money. And I have the perfect guest here. I'm honored to have Christian Bishop from the, here in the U.S. He's the director of Twitch Properties. He's also, before that, he was the chief revenue officer at Method, uh, which I believe is in Scotland, the commissioner at eStars over in Las Vegas, and president of business development at Thunder Gaming. He knows monetization. Welcome, Christian. Well, so glad to be here, Tom. Thanks a lot, my man. Uh, too kind, but I, I appreciate uh, the nice words. No, because literally, I mean, one of the things we want to talk about in season two is monetization. And you have such a great background from all kinds of different angles to talk about it. So that would be great for, for our audience. And you're just coming up on a year at Twitch. Is that right? Yeah, yes, sir. Exactly. Well, that must be, a, that must be great. Yeah, it's been an interesting journey. You know, I started off in esports as an entrepreneur, um, launching my own businesses and kind of going through the grind, um, brick by brick. Um, throughout my my career so far in the space, and now to be on the Twitch side of things, and the platform is an interesting additive because uh, I've launched venues and esports arenas, production companies, tournament and leagues, and then I was on the team side. So now to be on the platform side uh, is fun. So what got you very what you, what got you started in in uh, esports and in gaming? Yeah, look, for, for me as a kid, video games was um, the thing for me to do. You know, I, I moved around a lot. My mom was a single mom, four kids, um, didn't always look like everybody uh, else that was around and didn't fit in and always necessarily. And video games was was it for me. Um, and I loved it. So I grew up playing them as a kid, launched, you know, gaming clubs and was president of one throughout boarding school. And then uh, in college, when I was working two jobs, I managed a GameStop. So for me, I thought that was, I thought that was it, you know, working at GameStop as, as a young man, was, you made it as a gamer. Um, and then went to corporate America, went and jumped on, uh, then I was in LA um, and then went to the entertainment side of things in the industry with some TV shows with ABC and whatnot. Um, and said, well, hey, look, if there's reality shows exist and all this other type of content, certainly we can bring back video games like G4. Um, and that's where I decided to dive in and uh, invested a lot of money and went through a lot of pain trying to <laughs> trying to create original programming and shows. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, pivoted, man, and just then launched a venue. How long ago was were you creating shows? 
Because I think that's interesting. Probably, on the time frame. Probably about seven years ago. The, the very beginning of uh, of uh, the esports world. So uh, I don't know about that. Some of these guys like uh, Ralph from ESL have been doing it way longer. You know, the StarCraft guys and some of those OGs, Counter-Strike 1.6 and, you know, Mike Sepso and Sundance, MLG days, and Adam Apicella uh, grinding before me. But, um, you know, I've, I've, I've been fortunate to come on uh, and kind of trying to stand on their shoulders a little bit. Yeah. 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 It's great because on one hand, there's, there's not a big roadmap. It's not like, Oh, we've always done it this way. But at the same time, th- there was a bit of history to, to learn from. Absolutely. First, I want to talk a little bit about in, uh, in-person events and like TwitchCon, which is coming up here shortly in San Diego, just down the road where, from where I am here in Burbank. And you know, a lot of people in our audience are entrepreneurs or they want, uh, want to be entrepreneurs on creating their own in-person events. We had uh, Eniola Idan, for example, from um, Gamer in Nigeria, who's just doing amazing things there. So can you tell us a little bit about in-person events? What kind of revenue streams are there if you're creating a, uh, an in-person event? So... These in-person events can be can be different. When you mentioned TwitchCon, um, that is specifically created for our creators and our most passionate fans, right? So that shows different because you've got over fourteen thousand streamers and content creators at one show. Um, so it's a massive media event in its own right. Um, but it's to celebrate Twitch culture and to give an opportunity for creators to get together, to meet one another, um, to, to meet some fun brands that are creating great products and solutions to support them and have been supporting the space for a while as well. Right. This is like a big celebration of Twitch culture, streaming culture and gaming culture. Um, and, and it's unique and different in that in that way. Right. Um, and. You know, for those, those type of shows, it's not necessarily about revenue. What we make goes back into launching new shows and new programs. You know, we expanded and launched one in Amsterdam. Um, we'll be in Paris next year. Um, so that's what it's about for us. Um, when you think of like other potential live events that could have an angle for monetization, um, like let's take the FGC and the Smash community, for example. They do a great job monetizing live events. Um, ticket sales is a big one for them, right? Where you've got see people paying fifty to two hundred dollars for a two to three day event. Um, a piece of those of that ticket sell uh, goes to the prize pool for those tournaments, um, and that's a great thing, um, which is unique and rare in the FGC that they have an ability to get thousands of people to show up and pay ticket you know prices at that range. Um, and there's other esports that struggle, what I say, to get butts in seats, right? And um, they have to get creative and they can't give the tickets away sometimes. So it's um, it's interesting. And if you have the strong community base, and that's the key to these things, is you've got to have the strong core community, uh, then you can sell tickets. Um, and then number two, of course, with tickets and entrance and having, you know, the foot traffic, then you can sell sponsorships um, and you can monetize that um, through a meaningful program and strategy, both like in arena branding, right? Banners and whatnot. Um, but if you have, you should have a stream of some sort. And then what does your digital branding look like, you know, for either competitive gameplay or whatever you're going to be doing. Um, that's an interesting angle, right? If you can sell sponsorships, it's not easy. Um, you can sell booth space. If you have exhibitor booth space as well, that can be offered um, as a third option, either goes in tandem with sponsorship or just alone, right? For like vendors that want to, you know, offer something. 
Um, you can have smaller exhibitor space, which is called like an artist alley. Um, and that's more for community driven and it's much more affordable, but that's a, a separate activation you can have. Um, you can get a, a work how to get a portion of the food and beverage revenue, the F and B, depending on your venue that you choose from, um, and work with them. Now that's not always possible to negotiate that, uh, but you can try. And the same with hotel room bookings. So like when you have an event, you have a certain block that you negotiate. Now, generally, when you have a live event, you'll try to go do that deal with a property that has a hotel. Um, maybe they have a casino. Then they'll be really interested and aggressive because they know what that means, right? They'll, they'll model, assume that some people will gamble. Uh, but they'll be like, look, we'll give you the space for free. Um, we'll give you 15% of the F&B. Um, we'll give you the exhibitor space um, and, you know, uh, give you some portion kickback on the, the rooms based on how many book. Um, and they might make a they might need a commitment from you that like you'll sell this many rooms and this many people will come. Um, and those are some of the, the kind of the high level opportunities um, that, that exist for events. No, so you, you definitely have experience on doing this because that covers covers a lot of basis that people can can be thinking about. What do you think is the most important revenue driver? Do you think it's the ticket sales? I think it's the people. I think it's, I think, I think, um, I think it's getting humans to show up and care about your event and care about what you're doing. If you have passion and excitement around what you're launching and putting together um, and the people participating in your program do, then that will come through in social media impressions and reach that will come through in terms of PR coverage of your event um, and relevance relevance is a very important superpower and magical recipe for a lot of the things that we do in our space. It could be content that you're creating. Um, it could be an event that you're producing. It could be a tournament. Um, it could be a team or a brand that you're launching. Relevance is going to lead to people caring and showing up and PR writing about it and brands wanting to sponsor it. Um, relevance, relevance, relevance. So I think that's really important. But one of my favorite things, yeah, yeah, look, Tom, if you can sell tickets, you know, and have that core revenue um, as a core base to be able to build your event off the back of, then, you know, that's, that's the way things have always been done, right? That's the original way to do it. So I think it's a good place to start. Do you think there's any opportunity for selling media rights to an event? Um, not really, to be honest with you. Not initially. I think that if you're going to, you know, First off, who's paying for media rights? So you're not going to get any real linear revenue from a linear TV network. Um, OTT platforms want revenue splits, like 50-50 revenue split. And they'll like, you know, 2 TV or, you know, these apps will like want your content, um, but they're only going to give you a rev split. And it's like, who's going to go watch this on that app anyway? Um, and then if you think you're going to get money from a digital platform, um, you know, Facebook gaming, Twitch, or YouTube, that's very rare, you know, very, very rare. So your event and your programming better bring value in a real way to the community and play a critical part like some of these award shows do, right? Game awards and esports awards that are part of our culture. Um, they can find a way to get um, some deals. But um, if you have meaningful, meaningful revenue, if you have meaningful viewership at your event, depending on what it is, right? Because is it competitive? And then if it's esports, it's a tournament. What game? Um, you know, how many eyeballs are we talking about? That could be a little bit different. And if you have eyeballs, then you can also monetize the audience directly through the stream with, you know, look at Beyond the Summit. They do interesting things. Um, selling like merchandise and all this other stuff that feeds into the pride pool. I think they call it like uh, like the compendium, kind of like how Dota does with TI. 
Um, that opens up a whole other angle. But if you have something that's watched, you can monetize the audience direct, and that should be your initial thoughts. And then if you're really big and you have a really strong IP and you're in a really important place and you have proven success over a period of time, then you can try to have a conversation with the platform for revenue. What do you think about if, if you're creating an in-person event, the uh, online portion of it? Because one of the things I like hearing you talk about is the the PR side of things. Because that's one of the things would at the studios when we used to do things at Comic-Con. I mean, yeah, there's a pretty big audience at, at San Diego Comic-Con. The real bang for the buck was uh, all the media that you would get out of being at Comic-Con. Uh, that, that was, that was the, the big part. That was the big reason for being there. So one of the things, if, if, you're, if you're just starting out, how much attention with an online event, with an in-person event, how much attention should you spend on creating an online component? It's a good question. I think it's a big, it depends, you know, um, it depends if it's a cosplay event. I might focus a bit more on the people that are in the arena that are celebrating costume that are celebrating and like really can appreciate, you know, the magnificent artwork being done with the costumes and whatnot. Um, but it certainly wouldn't hurt to have a stream, right? People want to see that at home. Um, but the more you bite off and the more you do is the more responsibility and the more budget and the, the more exposure you have for things not to go right. Because if you're going to have an online experience and you're going to have a stream, then what does that look like? And that will, and that will, that puts pressure. You have to have a solid production crew. You have to have TDs, you have fly pack truck production trucks. Is it digital with OBS and computers? What is the camera set up? What about audio? What about bandwidth latency? to be able to broadcast and graphics packages and stream, and then you got to promote it and it, it represents your brand. Um, so rushing to go online with an online broadcast can also be a bit exposing to you unless you're ready for it. Um, and you have a strategy to promote it accordingly um, to do something. Uh, and that and even on a rights point of view, and then once you go live, um, you have to have the rights too. So if you're trying to, you know, stream and broadcast a, an esports tournament, then you're, you're going to need a licensing agreement with the publisher especially if you want to sell sponsorships that opens up a whole nother can of worms now with the game publisher. And they might be more strict because they don't want you running an event when their esports program is going on. So we don't want you running a tournament of our game when our esports program is running, you know, so then you'll, you'll, then you can get into that, man. So, um, and then there's major, major, you know, landmines on the publisher side of things. You, you sound like you're talking from experience. It's pain, talking through pain, Tom. And we're going to start drinking tequila here in a second if we, if we keep talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> that was always that's always the best thing when, when E3 used to be the biggest thing here in L.A. every summer. The people that we wanted to make the best friends with were the people from uh, uh, Mexico because the, the, the tequila sponsors always sponsored all their, all their parties. So those were the best parties to uh, get the invitation to. What's the so, places to be? When you're talking about uh, sponsors – and partners because everyone in esports, I mean, what they want to know, how can I get sponsors? So if you're creating an online, uh, an in-person event and you want to go out and talk to sponsors, do you have any hints or any, any ideas on who to go to and how to nail them from, uh, from smaller organizations? Cause at Twitch, if it, I mean, you're, you're, you're in a different league. I mean, you, you call someone, they pick up the phone sort of thing. <laughs> um, um, I came, I came from the trenches. I yes, that's exactly why I'm asking I, you that because you, you, know, you know what it's like at that end. I, I groveled. I, I was the, you know, one of the, what, um, Sundance, 
you know, um, bless him from Vindex MLG days. What he, what he told me a year or two ago, he was like, yeah, Christian, I'm, you know, I've seen you've been working hard and you were that guy that was like, hey, mister, do you have a minute? And that's what I would do, you know, like, hey, sir, um, can I get a moment with you? Um, and that's what I did, you know, to start off in the, the very beginning years as I was on the road traveling to every esports pro, um, event that I could go to, right? And, and this is the business side of it, right? So these are like business events, consumer events. And I would look up who's going and I'd be all over LinkedIn and I would connect with as many people as possible on LinkedIn. And I work really hard to farm LinkedIn. And then I'd see people post and I would reach out to them and try to schedule meetings. And then I would see who's speaking at the panels and I would connect with them on LinkedIn from the programming list and I would message them. And then I would go to the panel and then after the panel was done, I'd walk up and I'd wait in line and try to have a moment with that person and get their business card so that I can actually have a point of contact because network is net worth, right? So that you have an ability. And I would do that. And I did that for years, a couple of years, man, just going to all these events and connect with everybody. And then after I, I go back to my hotel and I send a follow-up note and say, hey, so, so, so nice to meet you. So, and so at whatever brand or game publisher or, you know, Twitch or ESL, um, just building my network and connections with people um, and following up and being consistent. Um, so that way, um, when the time comes, uh, I can hopefully have some rapport to build off of. And, and that was just the grind of the trenches of, of doing that. And and then digitally on Twitter and LinkedIn and engaging and connecting with people with their posts and commenting. I call those touches, just getting touches with people, following up with them so that when you do come with an ask, it's not a, a random. I don't know. They'll feel like they at least they have some basic rapport to give your email um, three seconds instead of, you know, the second it takes to delete. Um, so that was the that was the, the big like, thing for me to be able to try to build a rapport. And then it's learn and understand what's important to the brands and, and pay attention to what they care about. Look at what they're marketing. Look at what they're doing. Look at the brand managers, the people that do the sponsorships, figure out who it is and look how they talk on Twitter. Look at what games they're passionate about and their interests and look where those align and try to find a way to connect. Um, and it's hard, right? So it's very difficult to get sponsorship dollars out of different groups. A lot of people are going to want to give you product, especially if you're talking to endemics, you know, um, chair companies don't want to give money. Peripheral companies want to give barely any money. They will give you keyboards, mice, headsets, chairs. They're huge and bulky and expensive to ship. And then once you build it, you're not shipping it back. So chairs are like a problem too, you know, to get, but like you can get chairs, but um, they come over on shipping contain- uh, containers from China. And, you know, if you want custom ones, they take months. But it's a process, man, and it's not easy. Um, so, like, doing the intimate work to be meticulous with your strategic planning, building lists, Google Sheets of the companies you want to target, who's who, use the platforms like LinkedIn. You can use a platform called Sponsor United and get a subscription, which will give you um, the contact information, the names and the emails and some of the phone numbers of people that are in the sponsorship teams. It will also give you uh, a database to actually list what all their sponsors are in esports. And it scrapes the web and it scrapes social. So you'll see it. Um, and it gives you a lot of that interesting info. So come prepared, do your research, do the work to build relationships, build some rapport before you come with an ask and then be humble. Don't, don't, don't come over the top with a, uh, extreme ask um, thinking yeah, you'll go get 50k plus from a brand for a brand new event that just came out of the gates maybe ask for 10k have a 10k 25k and a 50k option and um, maybe even smaller you know and then then think about what's in it for them you know you make it sound like a job 
which, which is really good because it is. I mean, people just think that it's, it can be so easy. And also one of the things I like hearing you talk about is the time frame, because so many people, it's like, we're going to have an event next month. Let's go get some sponsors. Well, it, it's like it, the time to get sponsors is when you don't need sponsors, <laughs> which is what I hear you, you saying. Oh yeah, exactly. It kind of goes back to what I mentioned to you earlier before relevance. That's, that's the key when you talk about monetizing in this industry, it needs relevance. Relevance converts to eyeballs. It converts to people caring about what you're doing. It compares people, it converts to people showing up. It converts to influencers want to get involved in what you're doing and players, which feeds the whole machine. Um, and there's and relevance and how to go about getting that is a whole nother conversation um, and magical in its own right. You know, and it's kind of like making a hit song or a hit movie, right. Um, or writing hit literature. It's special. And it's, it's, it's tough to just replicate and do um, can't necessarily copycat. So there's something special about it, which makes it really hard. And that's why these legacy IPs like Evo and, and like E3 and some of these big events that have been around so much have so much value and lasting power because they have that magic. Um, another one's going to come up and try to copy it and, and flounder. Um, but yeah, man, it takes time. Like a month is not going to happen. Like you, you'd have to have a personal relationship of a friend that's blessing you to agree to sponsoring something for five, $10,000 small, or maybe they like charge it to their company credit card because they can. And like, yeah, they sponsor you that way. Um, or they'll sign the contract. And that's a whole nother thing is then you got to go collect and it's going to take time to get money from these companies. Um, so hopefully you can cash flow and pay your bills. Um, cause that money, it's not coming right away. Yeah. 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 I remember at studios that, that, the, the 120 day payment policy was, was it was real. I mean, it just was was baked in there, and, 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 and it's like well, no, nothing we can do. The thing I hear you talking about, which I think is really interesting, is you're talking about brand managers, and what I what, what I hear you saying is find out who the person is. Don't just don't just do some research. I mean, do some research. Uh, you mentioned some some options there, but find out who the brand manager is because they're the one that is going to be making the decisions. It's their budget sort of thing. You want to be their best friend. You don't want to be the president's best friend or the CEO's best friend. Or yeah, I mean, that's not a bad thing, but, but there are other people involved that, that make a lot of sense. The, the other thing I was going to ask about here, cause you keep bringing up what the brand wants out of it. What do you think uh, most sponsors for uh, in-person events? What is it that they're looking for? Reach? Um, sponsors. And like, and then you even like brought up like, like, how do you get media money right or media rights? Sometimes, and this is actually true, and I really do believe this. Sometimes they simply want to support it because they think what you're doing is cool and that it's adding value to the community, or that you're serving serving a underserved community, women, people of color, diversity. Um, you know, like collegiate high school sometimes people just want to support it because of that you know and it's it's as simple as that and they want to help you um and that's cool you know and like so you can get support there if you're in that niche and that's actually a smart strategic angle by the way um is that some companies are have to earmark budget and money to spend in certain categories and that when you're in a category serving an underserved community you have a unique factor um, where it's less about your hypeness and relevance. And it's more about being the right thing to do 
and supporting a particular scene. Um, and that is very powerful. And that's another wraparound angle uh, that you can do it. Um, and the same kind of applies also um, geographically. Uh, it's one of the things that I learned when you talk about monetization. And this is a major key, major key alert, Tom. Sound the horns on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, we, we need the little like uh, ka-ching. This is, yeah, you need something like that. But this is, this is a, this is a big one, man. But one of the things that I learned throughout the years of grinding, and it took me years to come across this, is that I'm in the United States hustling and I'm competing with everybody else in the U.S. It's one of the most mature markets with the biggest companies that are also going to those brands. Are we going to give you money when we're going to, we got 10 other decks. And then I started to realize these other markets. And I had like friends that were in like Brazil that were like first, but they're the only ones. And then all of a sudden, like, it was like, they were the only ones. And these companies are like, want to expand into Brazil. They want to be in the market and they were getting deals. Publishers were writing them checks because they want to be in that market to target that demo and those users. And then same in like Ukraine, in Kiev, you know, Starladder is based out of that, you know, and um, they did great and also more affordable staff so they could run tournaments and production. So they were winning projects. The same in Germany with Freaks for You. They run, you know, riots, European League of Legends. They did European stuff for Twitch rivals. And I started realizing like international markets, like one championship, they do um, esports stuff. They're in Southeast Asia. You can also have a geographic regional advantage to be unique. And then that's your angle where it's, hey, brand, hey, partner, hey, game publisher, we can help you access this audience. How else are you going to access them? And that is also powerful. So I think if you could find some unique ways to differentiate yourself, um, either for the communities you're serving, the regions, the geographic, uh, geographical kind of footprint. Um, and otherwise, if you're in the States, man, you know, God bless you, because you're going to need to, you know, you know, you're going to need a bit of that magic to find an angle and actually build something of relevance that the community that you're serving loves and get big. Yeah, I think that's uh, one of the things about our audience here for the podcast was that it's pretty much international all over the world. And we've been talking to a lot of people in Africa, in um, India, South America, Southeast Asia. We talked to Mitch Esquera from Galaxy Racer. And it's like, wow, we had no idea. I had no idea how big Galaxy Racer is in the world. And That's a, that's a chair company with a bigger furniture brand above them? Or is it no, that's, no, it's a different one. <laughs> there, um Galaxy Racer is just huge in Southeast Asia, but more in um, in Middle East, North Africa, um, in the is Middle it, East. Is it a team? It's it's a company. It's a content company. Oh, I see these guys. Yeah, I got three hundred and twenty thousand subs on YouTube. Oh, how yes. cool! Yeah, they're they're booming, and their creators are massive. Four million six. See, I had no idea. Look at these, and they're huge. They're enormous. They have the relevance. They have the special thought. They're serving a unique community, a different type of community. I mean, they're... And it, 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 one of the really interesting things when you start looking at them, and we were talking to Mitch, it's like they're moving at warp speed. I mean, they started literally 18 months ago, and now they're, they're the size that they are because of, of, of what they're doing. And I, I'm a real believer that there's, there's just so much potential in a lot of places that, that people don't know about esports. It's like you're talking about Brazil being the only one there. I think there's a lot of money, a lot of sponsorship sponsorship money to be sought out in places in in Africa, for example, in India, um, 
but people who have the money to spend, they don't know esports or they don't know any place to put their money in esports that's safe, that that's, you know, that that's something that they will feel comfortable with. So that's one of the things that we're trying to do here is try, you know, spread the word about now we spread the word about Galaxy Racer right yeah. here. Yeah, look, that, that, that's a big part of it. I think if you're able to help connect um, the dots and bring awareness to some of these situations, Galaxy reminds me of Loud. Have you ever heard of Loud? No, no. Check them out. Loud in Brazil? Go ahead, look them up. Go look, look up, look up Loud. Go on. Uh, are you on Twitter, Tom? Yes. So type in Loud. Let's see. Let's see the user handle. Loud GG. Is this the right one? Yeah, Loud GG. In the right spot here. Look at their Twitter. Let's see here. <laughs> I better on the phone. That's me. I am looking here. You see that? How many followers they have? People, let's see here. I'm gonna link. I'm gonna link it to you as well. Do we have a chat in here? Oh yeah, we do have a chat. I'm gonna link yes, it we right. do. I just linked it for you too. Okay. Wow. How many? How many? And it gets crazier. 1.5 million. They have 1.5 million followers. You didn't even know about them. And look at their top tweet. When was it tweeted? Their top tweet. Uh, the one that shows up first is three hours ago. And how many likes does it have? <laughs> how many likes does it have, Tom? 110,000. Are you kidding me? Look how insane that is. These organizations like this and the one you mentioned to me exist in these different communities and regions that a lot of other people don't know about, especially like us in the West. Now, in Loud was was like arguably number one on Twitter in terms of social impressions globally for Twitter gaming across esports orgs. Is that the community is just so passionate? You know, as, as you, know you see, you watch football games, the soccer games, right? You see, you know, Brazilian fans that don't play, but um, these other communities, man. And when you've got and when you've got like governments, and you've seen like the Middle East yes. is, is yes. moving a lot to invest and provide Saudi Arabia. Yeah, you know, you, you've seen a lot that's being um, done. And then strategically, these, um, you know, like the Sovereign Wealth Fund investing and taking positions in these companies, you know, buying ESL, buying Faceit, yes. you know, the operators investing in these other game businesses where they own 10, 15%. That's is going to be a big deal for those regions because it tells you now that certainly when it comes, because one of the problems with these regions, Tom, is that they actually don't have the infrastructure for the games. They lack the servers to be able to have competitive gameplay and the latency and ping is too high. Those days are changing. We do, you know, they own a piece. Now the big players, now they'll start seeing those servers rolled out. And with the investments that is going into these scenes, it's, yes. Uh, yeah. One of my one of my favorite stories that I repeat probably too often is when um, Anubis in Egypt went mm -hmm. to the Red Bull Campus Clutch in Portugal or in Spain. 
they were not used to the, the ping rate that they had at the event. And because they trained at home, they had, uh, I mean, they were good for all kinds of reasons, but it certainly did not hurt that they had trained in, uh, with, with a much lower ping rate. We talked to people all the time in sub-Saharan Africa. We're talking to people in Zambia. And you, if you're going to be a fighting game professional player and you're in Zambia, good luck because mm. you, your, your ping rate is going to be so bad yeah. that it, it's going to make it really tough. It's, it's it, horrible. It's horrible. For I, I, wanted to, I wanted to ask a little bit. We, we could keep going forever and I want to be respectful of your time here. I want to talk a little bit about online events. And in particular, you, you guys do Twitch Rivals, which is a huge online type of program. And could you talk a little bit more about what Twitch Rivals is and what you're trying to do there? Yeah. So Twitch Rivals is competitive uh, entertainment product for creators, right? It's not necessarily about the, you know, top tier esports pros that are competing. And when you see esports competitions, it's an entertainment product first for creators to have an opportunity to come have fun, meet other creators um, that they want to play with around a game that they're excited about um, and just do something different and unique that in a little bit of a different format than they normally do. And then for, for us, we hope to be able to introduce creators to and provide a place where some of the audience can meet other creators. You know, so many people only watch like certain folks, but then when you watch the Rivals program, you'll you maybe get a chance to get to know another creator, see their personality and get introduced to that channel so we can other help other uh, our creators grow and get some uh, visibility. When we're ta- when you're talking about creators at at Twitch or in general, what are the kinds of revenue streams that a, a streamer because again, we're going back to follow the money here. It's like if you're a streamer, what are, what are the uh, options for earning money online if you're a streamer? Oh yeah, I mean, look, as a content creator and a streamer, it starts one with the content. The the you can monetize directly, right? That's what's great about Twitch is you have subscription revenue, right? So people subscribe to your channel, and there's three different tiers: you have tier one, tier two, tier three. The most affordable being five dollars. Um, the base partnership when you're a partner is a fifty fifty revenue split um, for partners there. Um, when you are affiliate, um, or, you know, so it's, it's normal streamer, they just get started, then they get an affiliate status, then you get partner status. Once you have affiliate and unlocks the ability to, um, get subscriptions and whatnot, um, and then you can start monetizing. Um, and that's, you know, so, you know, streaming, you know, uh, really the bar, the bar is not that high, right? It's like average of three concurrent viewers, certain number of stream days. Um, it's, it's, you can get to that point to be able to monetize a stream rather quickly. Partner is a bigger jump. That's like a 75 average. And um, you have to show some other metrics that are important to the content team. But you get to monetize the audience directly. People that want to support your content and channel with subscriptions, you know, I view it as a little TV, you know, cable subscription like back in the day. Um, They can donate bits. They can donate to you. um, And those are like bits for special moments, which let a viewer get a moment where it pops up on your stream and you get to read their message because it's highlighted um, or it's read out. Um, that's always interesting um, as well. Um, and then, of course, is, you know, again, as you as you, you gain viewership and relevance, you can do sponsorship deals yourself. Some of these creators also sign to teams where then they have a team that's writing them a check um, and the team is helping them get sponsors. Um, they've got merchandise. Um, and that's the really interesting one is like I'm a very, very big believer, Tom. And I think what everybody needs to do everybody needs to stop thinking from a third-party point of view is how do we get money from a sponsor? How do we get money from Twitch or YouTube or a brand? The goal is 
how do you get money directly from the audience, direct to consumer strategy? How do you build products that are going to monetize directly to the community? That is the key. If you can cut out the middlemen and monetize an audience directly, maybe, you know, the obvious one is like merchandise. And I'm not most excited and bullish about merchandise, but that's like an obvious one. Um, then okay. But there's other people that have websites. Like I've, you know, I've purchased and sold websites, um, you know, and I, I've made investments myself, bought a website, you know, uh, found an individual, you know, um, hobbyist that was passionate about a website and it gets great views. You know, you know, millions of people go to the site or at least millions of page views, but millions of page views a month. And that could be, you know, 250,000 people unique, like kind of revisiting it. Um, and they don't have ads and they don't run anything. They're just like, Oh, I do it for fun. I go, could go buy their site for $50,000 or whatever to negotiate, turn on ad revenue and based on the traffic, monetize that site and have it pay it cash flowing within six months and got an ROI. Um, simply because of that. So like build products like that, like websites, gaming websites. If you're a creator that then is providing utility to the community that you're creating content in a Minecraft server, for example have your own Minecraft server that then you can monetize that you promote on stream. Like these are just all little random ideas, but that's what I mean when I say monetize the community directly is if you're able to do that, cut out the middleman, you're not begging for anybody to write you a check, which is very difficult to justify your business. Um, create something of value. Then the community will recognize it and will tell you if it's good or not. And then they should be willing and be able to pay you a fraction of something for your services. How should a content creator promote their their content? That's that's a um, that's a that's an interesting question because you know we just unlocked the ability for creators now to be able to um, go live and whatnot on other platforms like TikTok and post content. So so we so we believe that that there is an opportunity to um, for them to build new audiences and create relationships with other users that may not be on our platform on Twitch, uh, but are on those other platforms um, like TikTok. And as you know, there's amazing discoverability on TikTok. To me, I, I, I tell creators and people like, hey, if you, even if you're a new creator, you should be on TikTok. In fact, are you on TikTok, Tom? Barely, barely. You, well, this podcast has got to be on TikTok in some capacity um, somewhere, even if it wasn't um, purely audio. Maybe it was like transcribed and it was like, I don't know. But like there, there's got to be angles. But TikTok is a, is awesome from a from a discoverability point of view to get growth. And then you can push Great to know. Yeah. And then you can push people. But also it's it's also the other platforms. Try the new things that they're promoting. So you'll notice that platforms tend to with their algorithms tend to promote and push uh, the content that is important to them, like IG Reels and YouTube Shorts. So whenever something new comes out from a platform, be first to jump on it. Um, be creative. You know, um, Reddit, use Reddit. Go communicate and go participate. Don't just spam and drop your links. But participate in your um, Reddit threads in the groups of the communities in which you're in. Uh, I, I started streaming when the pandemic happened because I, I wanted to learn what it was like to be a streamer because when I was working at the esports team method, I saw how much money they made and I was doing deals and game companies were paying these creators thousands of dollars an hour to play their game. And I'm like, we're talking like five, 10, 15, 25, 50 K an hour, Tom, to play a game. 
they say, hey, will you so-and-so creator, you've got, they obviously have big viewership, you know, tens of thousands of CCB concurrence. And I was like, are you kidding me? This this guy is getting $50,000 to play this game for two hours. And in some cases, I had to twist their arms. Um, and I was blown away by that. And I was like, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try streaming. <laughs> so I started streaming and I, and I joined Facebook groups um, that were about streamers. Um, and I started hanging out in other streamers channels and they would hang out in my channel and I would support them and they would support mine. And I was able to get viewers and we would keep each other's tabs open on the internet. You know, I got three monitors and I keep them open and, you know, they, and they'd give me a viewer and they'd hang out and we'd jump in and they support me and I'd communicate on Reddit. Um, and I started doing all that kind of stuff and built and, you know, in less than nine months, I was able to make $50,000 streaming, um, building an audience and, um, just over time and doing like game campaigns myself, you know, and just able to do that kind of stuff. And I was like, okay, I see, I see how it's done. It's hard work, but I could see. Yeah. Cause everyone thinks everything's, Oh, you're playing games. How hard can this be? And no. it's like, no, 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 it's, 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 it's a, it's a business. I was drained. I was drained at the end of streaming. I'd be tired. It was not recharging for me. like it is for some people. And that's why I stopped. Like I was like, Ooh, I was work. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, um, do you see things changing in from a streaming standpoint? Are there new things coming down the pike that you that you're that you're aware of that that might change things, or are we kind of looking at the same thing that we're doing now? Look at look at, look at Tom, guys. Tom is starting to pry now. He's trying to get into the vault, the inner secrets. He's like, oh, no, sure. and I'm not talking about what you do for he's, every, he's, every he's day. Just, he's looking. He's going deeper, deeper into the vault. Um, but if you want, if it, but we're willing to record anything you're willing to say. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Mr. Leonard, sir. So, so, so I think the interesting thing that is, is circulating now is sports. So you have traditional sports broadcasters and rights holders now that are giving the rights for creators to restream sports games. Um, and that is powerful. And I think that is going to be a very big deal, right? Whereas, um, do you watch American football by any chance, Tom? A little bit. So, not, so not a lot. So, so Payne Manning. Um, there was this broadcast of Payne Manning with his brother Eli sitting on a couch, you know, and they were watching a game and that you could watch that channel and hear them, him and his brother hanging out watching the game. What, what, what is interesting is, is that it's about the audience wanting to sometimes have a different personality and talent narrate what's going on in this in the sports competition to you. It's the same kind of train of thought with a gamer is maybe somebody from an audience would be interested in their favorite streamer who also loves soccer you know, football to be the commentator, you know, for, for a big football match in Brazil, right. Or, or a big basketball game. And that is the next evolution, right. Or like, or golf, you know, and it's like, all of a sudden you have somebody that you love and, and it's this, you know, it's a creator that's 22 years old and some 12 year old kid can't relate to like NBC's golf channel and those, those, those broadcasters. But now you put that 22 year old streamer and they're having fun and they're like joking. And he like, now that's a new audience in places like golf and baseball. And like their audiences are very old. Now you've unlocked this access to the coveted youth and you're embracing, you're exposing your sport to these other people. So I think as you, I think you'll start to see that. And that's interesting um, to see how sports rights develop in a streaming point of view. Um, especially internationally. So you talk about places like Africa and, and, and things like that. In the U.S., it's, it's, it's really tough because the rights are such a big deal. But in other markets, internationally, you know, uh, that's the NBA does it. The NBA does it with a streamer called Gallus. Um, they, do a, they do a partnership with him where Gallus streams 
NBA basketball games in South America. So, and he actually, I'm going to drop a link here for you so that you can see it. And uh, this one here. Um, oh, funny enough, this was this was my website that I sold, uh, esports.gg. This was my media company that I launched. And this one here actually covers it. It's Gallus doing NBA matches on Twitch, and he had a Budweiser sponsorship. And at South America, NBA was down. And you'll wow. see at the bottom, NBA testing waters with Gallus partnership. And for him, he expanded the NBA into the Brazilian market. And for the NBA, they're not going to have problems from ESPN and everybody else that they sell rights to. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting because the, the traditional sports world is so – has such a long – history. I mean, it, and people are so passionate about it. And so if you can tap into that path, yeah, you're talking about, uh, you know, resonance and relevance and it's, it's like, yeah, that, that's what you're able to tap into. And there's probably also even from, um, entertainment brand IP, it's like, you know, from, um, you know, um, all the DC, all the Marvel people out there, it's like how they can, they, they can utilize it to tap into, um, other markets. How much can, um, can streamers earn? Do you think if you're, if you were talking to someone now, it sounds like you're doing really, really well at streaming there after nine months, most people starting out, uh, what, what kind of range would you say to expect to not get disappointed or not get out of control? It, it depends. So it depends if you're going to, if you're going to turn the camera on and do nothing and expect um, growth, it's going to be very difficult and impossible. Um, you're going to, it's going to be you and your mom. And your cell phone because you're watching yourself on your phone um, as reviewers. It's going to be very, very hard. Um, you need to grind and you need to hustle. Um, if you rely just on the streaming platform's revenue, um, it can be a little tough initially as well for real meaningful money. I made that money also through paid promotions. Like I, you know, I, like I knew how to go get those deals, right? So like I was able to get them yeah. Um, yeah. for myself at the same time. So my situation was a little bit unique and different. Um, but I think that you can get to the point where you're making, you know, 500 to a thousand dollars a month. If you find a, you know, if you can have a hundred to 200 viewers, um, you should be able to make 500 to a thousand dollars a month through monetization. If you're streaming consistently, I'd probably say 25 plus hours a week. Um, if you find a creative way to do that and, um, Obviously, that also takes support from your community, being able to support and subscribe. And there's other fun ways where you can get your community to participate um, in supporting your career. There's things like Patreon and whatnot, right? Where like they can become membership and you can have different levels and you can get creative and say, okay, guys, for all my tier three Patreons, we're going to have game night and we're going to play games together. Um, and you are now part of it where it's like, and then for tier twos, we're going to have a, a private discord chat on Saturdays where it's just us. And you can ask me anything. That's what I mean. You kind of, kind of got to get creative and hustle and find new ways to, to have new offerings. Um, but it's also going to take getting that initial viewership and, you know, making sure that you're cultivating a community. Yeah. Um, uh, especially, yeah. What, what we keep hearing from you is it takes work to do this. But the other thing that I'm always a big believer in is look and see what other people are doing. Never feel like you have to reinvent the wheel. I mean, if you can be out there and see other people that are doing something similar or being, you know, having success in a particular thing, um, it's go at, you know, follow that. I did want to ask one question about Twitch and I'm not trying to pry for inside information. Is Twitch <laughs> going to be doing more internationally? Because we, we talk 
a lot with people in Africa and Indian other places and Twitch isn't necessarily their first platform that they go to. Is there, do you think Twitch will be expanding more in emerging markets? I think so. Yeah, absolutely. I think Twitch will continue to. Um, I think that there's always some nuanced details about Twitch's ability to be able to do it too. When you talk about some of these other regions and countries um, to be sure that you can actually support um, both infrastructurally for the creators and streamers from a, an IT point of view, right? The, the tech and the bandwidth that's required to run a streaming platform and live is significant. You know, it is significant. Um, it is a massive loss for most companies to, to, to be able to actually um, manage running a streaming network and platform. Um, hence the deal with Amazon, right? Gave a lot of that infrastructure to AWS, but otherwise it'd be very hard for a company to, without having that type of support. Um, but also like regionally, right? Like what does that relationship look like um, in that region? Um, you know, there, there could be some components and sensitivities there, um, but Twitch is certainly doing it. There's been massive movements and expansions um, and investments in regions all around the world, honestly. Um, but it's a bit of a, there's so, so many groups as you could imagine to serve while also serving your core, right? So that's the thing. So it's, you know, I, I give the question back to you, Tom. Um, if you're if you're the CEO of Twitch, what do you do? You know, you've got 150 million people coming to your site every month. How are you going to juggle the balance of of your of your responsibilities to service the 150 people, 150 million people you have, as well as all the creators and everything else that comes with that, and all the nuance, you know, music licensing rights and Restreet people restreaming shows to do watch parties and all the things that we deal with. The whole how do you balance your time, Mister Leonard? How would you do it? it? No, no, I I am not an expert on that, and I certainly uh, understand your point. That's like one of the things about Twitch, and we don't talk to a lot of people at your level on the podcast. But Twitch is just like such a big um, animal out there, and you. But with <laughs> Yeah, what's the old saying? You know, with a lot of power become, comes a lot of responsibility. You know, you got to take care of what, what it is that's been built on in the past. <clears throat> so when you're talking about one of the things I hear you also keep coming up with is community, community, community. And one of the things that we've learned more than anything else in talking all around the world is it's the community that is the most important part. To, if you're going to build any kind of a business at any kind of level, you're going to need that, that community. We got one last question here that we ask everyone. Should the Olympics include esports? Why, yeah. why not? Yeah, super interesting question. And just to kind of just to recap to go off of that, shout out to the Spider-Man quote, by the way. Great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Twitch is Twitch is we have our communities to serve, but we also take pride in expanding and supporting other types of communities and being welcoming, right? To all types of groups and people from all around, right? And we're continuing to do that. That's why you see like musicians coming in and all these different categories, right? So it's just, we love it and certainly internationally want to do more as well. Um, so I, I think you'll continue to see more from Twitch in that regard. Um, to, to, the, to the last comment about the Olympics, um, it's interesting. You know, it's always a debate. You'll say like, who needs who? Does the Olympics need us or do we need the Olympics? I'd like to see it. You know, I was working on a deal with Intel um, to get them to do it. And um, Intel is a big sponsor of the Olympics and they do a lot there. Um, and I was like, we should, we should do it. We should, there should be a world, you know, Olympic styled event that Intel makes happen. You know, you see Intel, what they do with ESL. Intel is the type of company that has a lot of, and has been a core 
part of esports and video games and, and all of us you know, building our computers and stuff. It's been them and AMD going out it, but Intel to me seemed to be a great partner to make something like that happen. Um, but you know, it's, it's interesting. You know, I, I would like to see it happen. It would be nice to see. Am I going to lose sleep over it? No. I think one of the things when we're talking about creating jobs all over the world, it's like one thing about the Olympics is so many times you think of the Olympics as two, three weeks in every uh, summer, every few years. What you don't really always realize is everything that led up to that. And the other thing, certainly here in the U.S., I mean, we have such a skewed vision of uh, what's presented to us for all kinds of reasons on the Olympics. We don't realize is all the countries that are, are, are working toward that same goal and all the, all the, um, the activities that took place over years to get people, you know, qualified to do that. And, and there just would be a lot of opportunity to create a lot of, um, of events that, um, maybe wouldn't have been created otherwise. That's, a, that's an interesting point. Um, and that's the exciting thing about, I think, our industry and community is that we are growing. And it's scaling and embedded like, um, you know, like my children are are going to have some exposure to video games and interest. Whereas back in the day, like, I, you know, I'd, you know, I'd go talk to CMOs of brands, be like, what? People want to watch other people play video games? And it'd be all like confusing and there'd be like this breakdown. Now it's a little bit different. Now that people know they need to have gaming and esports strategies and they didn't necessarily play games. But what's going to happen now is people... And that are, you know, in their 30s and 40s around my age are now moving into those positions of power, which are going to be the ones that are controlling budgets, where it's not going to be a, 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 to have to convince people necessarily to get into gaming and esports. They grew up on it and they'll want to just like how I want to, you know, just like how like a lot of a lot of sponsorships and a lot of money gets spent supporting legacy sports because it's it's a critical part of them. Right. And it's just is like they grew up watching it and like they're just going to put money into tennis, and put money in F1 and NASCAR and these things because that's just what they're going to do, partially because they also have a passion for it. So you're going to see that. And that's exciting to think about is the turning of the guard for now. Generations are as, as things as we all get older and generations move on. Teenagers are going to enter the workforce and then 30s, 40s are entering into executive roles, being decision makers. Um, and that's going to continue to happen as time goes on, you know, 30, 40, 50, 100 years. Um, and it's going to shape the world and shape how money is spent and priorities and how people view things, which could lead to the type of widespread infrastructure and resources and work being put in that you kind of reference has clearly been done at an Olympics level broadly, globally from all of these countries to make the Olympics what it is. Right. It's not just one, but it's everybody who participates trains and years and has organizations back home to cultivate exceptional athletes to compete in the, it's like a whole thing, right? So you just don't jump straight to the Olympics or there's a bit of a path. Um, and, and I think that's, what's fun about everything going on in our spaces. You see that infrastructure being continuing to be built and invested in, um, and not everything's perfect, but I think we're on the way up. I think so too. And I think it's the amazing thing is to think of how many people there are in the world that have never known the world without a smartphone and without the internet. And when we're talking about Africa, the incredible young age of uh, the African continent. Yeah. And it's like people there just don't know, 
don't don't remember what it was like without this, it, which is it, is just going to change their mindset, just like you're describing. Yeah, like look about that. You know that 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 was big for um, video games and and esports was the you know the development of bandwidth and fiber technology the past 10, 15 years. You know, like you know early two thousands and stuff. It was like you had AOL discs and you had to like time in and you had to like and you would like dial in. You'd have time. You know, with CDs that were being sent and then. Um, things progressed and then cable coax and now you can have a gig circuit up and down at your home so like that's also the thing when i mentioned infrastructurally is important right when you think about like twitch and like what are you doing in these markets it's also infrastructurally what's happening in those markets to support you know the the, the developments of people that have bandwidth and that there's the things that are needed so it's you hope to see that and and, and, and i spend time in out in kenya and nairobi and i sponsor and contribute to an orphanage out there um and the kids you know, like gaming and esports is way past being a luxury for some of these families, you know, like running water and clean water and access to medicine and food and things um, for these cool, poor kids, bless them, you know, is much more important. Um, and I hope that those things can be addressed first, right? And then hopefully those things can be addressed, things like gaming and, and smartphones and access to the internet, the web, which then gives access to education globally and cultures around the world and can and it can hopefully do for them what it did for me what gaming did right which helped me feel connected and supported when i didn't as a kid so i i hope we'd see that um, and i think smartphones and cell phone technology um you look at what it's done in india right like in the mobile market in india games like PUBG and whatnot are big because they, you know access to bandwidth and technology is like everybody's got phones right and those are accessible and they became affordable um, in India from Chinese manufacturers that went to that market um, or computers and hybrid gaming PCs and stuff weren't. So uh, I think smartphones as well will continue to be a big part of, um, you know, gaming and, and competitive gaming, esports spreading to some of these other countries and things throughout Africa and whatnot without the big infrastructure lifts. Yes. Yes. I mean, in so many places it's mobile first when it comes to esports, just because, because of the, uh, of the infrastructure they have. Hey, this has been a great discussion. We could keep going on and on. I don't want to take take all day here of your time. So I really appreciate you spending a little time here talking about monetization because you, I, I, we could just keep talking about your ideas on how to raise money. The one thing that I will say that in, in hearing you speak that it, it, you kind of live the model of you got to work hard. You got to hustle. You got to get out there and do things. You'd sit back and wait for things to land on you. You're probably going to be sorely disappointed. So, so I just really appreciate you taking some time here. Tom, look, I enjoy the conversation, man. I forgot that we were being recorded because uh, you're so cool to talk to. And it's nice to, to kind of catch up with you today, man. Um, look, I'm big on it. I'm big on it, man, of working hard and fighting for everything that you get um, and just going tooth and nail. And nothing's promised and, you know, it's all earned and you've got to go after it and get it and find a way to add value, um, build relationships in a real way, work hard on improving and getting better every day. Um, that's what I try to do, man. Great. Great. Hey, again, I appreciate it. Thanks to the audience for listening. This is the Gamers Change Lives podcast. Season two, follow the money, play games, create jobs, change lives. Talk to you next time. You've just heard the Gamers Change Lives podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment and leave a review. And if you haven't subscribed, do so right now so that you can stay up to date with episodes as soon as they're uploaded. And so you can hit the ground running on changing your esports adventure 
forever. You can also visit us at GamersChangeLivesPodcast.com. Play games, create jobs, change lives. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back.